Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Scale, our new series on the do's and don'ts for rapidly scaling startups. Today, we're joined by Bangali Kaba, the VP of Growth at Instacart. Bangali came to Instacart via another Insta, Instagram, where he helped double their monthly users to more than 1 billion. And at Instacart, he sees the same growth potential that he saw in Instagram's early days. He joined the podcast to talk to my colleague Brian about what growth looks like at a billion dollar company. So let's jump right in the conversation. Bangali Kappa from Instacart. Welcome to the podcast today. Thanks uh, for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So uh, first, I just want to congratulate you on your move to Instacart and your new role as their VP of Growth. You have a super impressive track record coming from you know a number of uh, really recognizable companies, Instagram, Facebook, DirecTV. Could you share us a little bit about your career journey, the cliff notes on your career to date? Yeah, thanks for uh, the warm welcome. So uh, yeah, my career has been an interesting one. I've, uh, to your point, I've had some uh, really interesting uh, kind of opportunities at DirecTV where I was working in their digital media lab like the Digital Innovation Lab, where they were thinking about the future of media consumption. And then uh, after a year there, I jumped to Facebook, where I joined the growth team. And uh, at Facebook, it was a really interesting kind of opportunity because I joined when the company was still relatively small, is the way it's compared to today. So about 6,500 employees, not tiny, but like definitely not 30,000 or 40,000. And uh, I had an, uh, a fortunate opportunity to join the growth team and really learn how to think about growth for a consumer product company. And Facebook has really been the innovator in that space. And after a couple years, they're running this team called the Friending Team. So how do you basically make friends and build a social graph? I jumped over to Instagram to help them to really build out their team and scale the business. So that was a a great kind of two and a half years or so there. I joined when Instagram had about 445 million users and left when it was past a billion in two and a half years. And so this has kind of been like a, a, just a great journey for me. And then prior in my career, I did some other things. I was in education for a bit. I worked on Wall Street for a bit, did my own startup. So I'd like to believe that all of those experiences really contributed to uh, my past today. Yeah, I have no doubt they did. I think uh, you often see folks that have come through an unusual journey having the most success sort of when they get to the later stages of their career because they can kind of synthesize all the things they learned as they went. Exactly. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, great. You know, I, I, you kind of alluded to this when you're talking about sort of a growth for a, a consumer-oriented company. But, you know, one of the things that certainly has been happening over the last few years is growth is, is a word that appears all over the place. It means so much. And I'd love to, to hear a little bit more about what you, what's the mission of your growth team at Instacart. What does growth mean to you in your new role? Yeah. So when I think about growth at Instacart, you kind of think about it from two dimensions. One is from, like, what is the growth of the industry? How do we think about that? And then how do we think about growing the product itself? And from the industry's perspective, it's just like a huge industry and it's constantly growing. People need to eat. Grocery stores are not going anywhere. People really love their local retailers. And it's, uh, you know, a trillion dollar kind of GMV market just in the last year or so. And we believe that it's just going to continue to expand. And so there's part of growth is obviously being in the right space where there's a ton of headroom. Uh, And I believe, you know, and that's part of the reason why I went to Instacart, I believe there's just an enormous opportunity because so few people are actually shopping for groceries online right now. But then when we think about growth for the product, you know, there's a lot of, to your point, there's a lot of different understandings of what growth is. And so kind of the school in which I learned was growth isn't about kind of just putting a button somewhere and trying to get people to click on things. Kind of our mission is to help reduce barriers to adoption. 
And so when we think about and we look at the product at Instacart and previously as I did at Instagram, what our job is to understand what are the things that are preventing people from using the product? Why are these happening and what are the biggest opportunities and how do we fix and improve the app such that we make it easier for people to use the app? So in service of that, we are always thinking about what we will call the marginal user. And so growth and consumer product growth is really about building things for non-power users. Because if you're constantly building things for power users, then like new people aren't going to be able to like think about how to join or use your product. I mean, so that is kind of the mission of our team. And we're doing this by like building great customer experiences from the journey of like awareness all the way through that first purchase and then long-term engagement. Got it. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think your, your opening point about sort of the size of the market and how few people are, as much as Instacart's grown, or, or how few people collectively are using uh, online grocery shopping at this time, like the, the universe of marginal users or users not at all is just, it's like mind-boggling. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, I guess related to that, since Instacart launched back in 2012, it's been growing, you know, at an absurd rate, probably, uh, yep. as you're talking about, because of the huge market. Last I heard, uh, the valuation is coming up on $8 billion. Yep. And I guess, you know, where are your top priorities today? Uh, is there some examples you can share about how you're thinking about growth and where you're focused? Yes, for sure. Um, you're right. So, you know, we had an amazing year last year, Instacart did. You know, I think that year was focused a lot on just driving more accessibility. So signing up more deals with retail partners so that we can expand to more households. I think we reach about 70% of the households in the U.S. and 60% in Canada. Um, just growing our footprint from a, like, engineering, et cetera, perspective, and then driving better pricing. You know, when we think about what we're trying to do in 2019, we're trying to move our growth well beyond the notion of expansion, accessibility. I think that's still important for us, but um, we really want to be able to dig deeper into things like how do we acquire users, people better mm-hmm. for the app. Um, And that's like, we don't have a ton of brand awareness, but it's growing. And I think we can do a better job there and driving from awareness to actually downloads, helping people understand what value it actually creates for them, because this is a huge convenience. And, you know, people's lives increasingly are busy and have a lot of challenges. So Instacart really does solve a need for a lot of families. And then really thinking about that first kind of part of the journey, which is, you know, the activation how do we get you from signing in and signing up to that first amazing delivery where you can really see the power of getting that first delivery that's perfectly done and perfectly executed and feeling like, okay, this is what I really need. And once we can kind of really nail that part, the awareness to the first delivery, then we start focusing on long-term retention and engagement. So how do we keep building better features for you that solve more jobs in your life such that you feel like this is needs to consistently be a part of your like weekly experience. Mm-hmm. And so these are the kind of the, I guess, the, the things that we're focusing on right now. No, that's great. And I'd love to actually return back in a minute to that, that your point around sort of amazing moments. Before we get there, there's a really interesting question that I know I, I hear a lot. And I think it's something that people would really benefit some guidance on. It's like with all the growth and all the opportunity that's ahead of Instacart, you know, the you can go anywhere. And you could do almost anything. And and how do you think about planning and prioritization and sort of the evolution of your strategy over time? Yep. Because I think, you know, especially for, for younger companies, it's really hard sometimes to make a make the right decision about how to invest your time and resources. Yeah, it is. Planning's hard. And it's um, I think there's no silver bullet, to be clear, around how do you think about planning. We think about it when we are a four-sided marketplace between our customers 
the retailers, the shoppers that we have and the CPG companies. And so to really deliver for all of our partners, we need to think really deeply around the needs of them and then some of the challenges that we have and then figure out, like, really where do we want to invest. So, you know, I, I've, I've learned, you know, my time at Facebook, Inc., including Instagram, that, you know, one con- critical component to this is really deeply understanding what's happening, understanding what are the challenges for whatever part of the side of the marketplace you're trying to address, whether it's customers or retailers, figuring out how to identify what is the most meaningful thing to solve and really being ruthless about prioritization, both in like how we invest resources to the extent to which we want to really drive or think about the scope of the first iteration of whatever we build, and then really executing perfectly. And executing perfectly, I've learned over time, is really important because it helps you to get signal around whether you had the right strategy or just, you know, the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. And so in, in service of this, what we've been doing is thinking about this from, like, our partners. So how do, how do we make sure that we are helping our retailer partners to reach more customers, to drive better long-term engagement, and then really deep diving into, like, some of the kind of the, the metrics, the conversion, some of the opportunities in that regard? Um, a lot of what we are focused on right now is also from a customer-facing perspective. So what are the challenges for people to use Instacart, especially for the marginal user? So we've seen a lot of challenges in, okay, well, this is an online grocery experience, but how do I make sure that I am effectively duplicating the exact same behavior I do when I go to the grocery store? That I can build my cart relatively quickly. I can have those surprise and delight moments where I find those peppermint bark Oreos or whatever it is that you love and really like have a seamless and easy checkout process. Um, so really diving deep in understanding what's going on and then identifying the right thing to do and executing perfectly on it. We do this quarter over quarter. So, um, you know, about every, we do about 10 weeks of execution and about three weeks of planning. And then we kind of, you know, keep the needle moving with constant like learning during the, that cycle. Got it. Great. So I think, you know, you touched on a couple in there, but um, I'd love if we could talk a little bit more about those like aha moments, those peppermint yep. Oreo moments. Mm-hmm. What's the right approach, do you think, for identifying them, for uh, exploring them, maximizing them and so on? Because, you know, to your point about marginal users, if they never have the aha, yep. they go away and you maybe can't get them back. Yeah. And is this do you mean in general or specifically to Instacart? Maybe a way to approach it might be to say, you know, in general, how do you maybe conceptualize that? And yep. then we could share an example specific to Instacart. Sure. So, yeah, so to your point, there is a, you know, there's the, the, the concept of the aha moment or the hero moment. And it's the moment when, you know, if you have a product that is solving a job for the customer and this kind of notion, this Clayton Christensen notion of jobs to be done, it's like that seminal moment when you realize that this thing is great and meaningful for you and it's actually additive. And it's really hard to say what that is, there's one part necessarily that is intuition, right? And that intuition is really deeply understanding, well, what is your product trying to do? And then looking at correlations between the rate at which people get to that point and how sticky they become over time. A lot of times, just as an entrepreneur and as a startup uh, leader in a startup, the way you really truly understand that aha moment is by just rapid conversations with your customers, Right? And so I remember days when I was doing my own startup where anyone who signed up, you know, you send them an email and say, hey, thanks for signing up. We'd love to hear more about what you like about the service. What's the one thing that you love about the service and what's one thing that we can uh, improve upon? And, you know, of course, maybe two out of every 10 people will reply to you. But the people who reply are really, really fervent, really, really passionate. 
And you tend to find that inside of like, you know, oh, this is the thing that really, really, truly matters. And once you can understand and find that, you really have to double down on making sure that as many people as possible get to that point as efficiently as possible. And then you figure out how to continue to retain them over time. So an example of this is, you know, I ran an early competitor to what was the Trunk Club or um, Stitch Fix. It was called Unscruff. Right space, right time, wrong strategy. But, you know, that aha moment was getting that first box of clothing and really, like, feeling like, okay, this actually is, like, great clothes that I need for a specific purpose. Um, And it resonated even better, especially for men, because we were focused on men, for men who were looking to date. Right? And so, like, it was a real need, right context, right solution. I think for Instacart, that aha moment is that first delivery that is, like, perfectly done. It is, you know, I went online, didn't have to get in my car, didn't have to brave the lines. I got to my local grocer, who I have, like, a deep affinity for. My wife, for some reason, like, loves Lunardi's. So, like, Lunardi's down on the peninsula. So it's like she loves the fact that she can order from Lunardi's. So there's some affinity there. And then you get all of the produce and all of the ingredients that you commonly would get yourself, but it comes to your house in an hour, and you can just keep doing whatever else you want to do. And that is the aha moment. And for us, you know, there's a lot that actually goes into that. You can imagine there's a fulfillment side of this. There's like a picking and packing that needs to be done perfectly. There's the quality, think about the quality of stuff that we choose. But then also making sure that like, you know, if something's out of stock, we can get ahead of that and we can engage the consumer. And so when you actually understand that aha moment, you really have to understand all the things that can break along the way because delivering the perfect aha moment is really, really critical for truly activating your Mm -hmm. customers. Yeah, I imagine I'll, uh, not this is about me by any means, but I know for me, I had very much that experience in Instacart where I was flying home after being away for a few weeks and there's no food in the house, right? So from the airplane, using the Wi-Fi, you make your order and then you get home and 30 minutes later, your groceries arrive. Amazing. And that triggered so much word of mouth from me telling everybody, you know, if you're in this circumstance, you have to try Instacart. It's going to change your life. Um, So I can also see the, you know, the huge benefit for the marginal user and also just the huge kind of just general brand and marketing benefit that comes from those kind of delightful first experiences. Exactly. Exactly. And I think so that is like that kind of description is is perfectly true for like, and this was perfectly in context for you. I mean, there's other smaller aha moments, right? Like, to be clear, I think one part of like the aha moment for grocery shopping is like discovery. I have a good friend who is a mother of two who actually works for a CPG company. And she says like, you know, one thing that really matters to her is she likes to be able to go to the grocery store and come home with that like new thing, right? In addition to the stuff that she buys every week. And that's a really critical for her. And it's like the, our ability to do that is and do it well is going to be really highly correlated with her, like, satisfaction on the platform over time. And so there's, like, you know, always a lot of smaller aha moments of things that, you know, really trigger a lot of emotion and sentiment and affinity. But there's always that, like, really key hero moment that is the one that you really need to zoom in on. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. 
I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Instacart uh, recently launched the new grocery pickup service as a companion to delivery. And I'm sure your team had a really large role to play in that. And maybe you could talk to us a bit about the decision to enter that market, how you approach bringing it to market. I'm sure you're optimizing for an aha moment in that world as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd just love to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, pickups uh, is, a, is a big priority for us. Pickup actually launched a little bit before I joined in like November of 2018, I believe. And it was, it came to market partially because we had a realization that like there is, we know that a lot of our customers are women. I think about like 82% of them and like maybe 50% of those are heads of households who are busy, who are doing a lot of things. And so, you know, in order to kind of support some of the challenges that that demographic has around, like, going to the store or, like, even getting deliveries, we realized that if you are head of household, you have one or two kids, or you have just a busy schedule, it's actually sometimes much more convenient for you to pick up groceries on the way back or on the way to one of your errands as opposed to being home for a two-hour window. Um, And so bringing this to market was really, really um, a huge uh, and amazing effort by the team to think about, well, what does it take? Like, kind of what does the workflow look like to pick, to store, to anticipate the delivery of, like, the arrival of the customer, to make sure you're doing the handoff seamlessly, to navigate all of the, like, I mean, there's a lot of complications with how we think about who the the people are who are going to do this, because I think there's different rules by different state, and then be able to, like, get it out and roll it out seamlessly. Um, and so that's kind of been uh, the, the thought process there. And we're really leaning into it um, to bring it to even more markets uh, for the rest of 2019. Mm. I can only imagine, like, we think about how complex, like, a software supply chain kind of looks right. like. When you put a physical supply chain in that, a regulatory Sorry component, I can only imagine the the complexity of sort of the whiteboards and process charts that, that, that yeah. float around. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are definitely some huge process charts that are pretty mind-blowing um, <laughs> hanging around the walls of Instacart. Great. Well, I mean, so, you know, you've launched the new pickup service. I think there's a wonderful insight there. It sounds like, a, you know, hopefully a success to date. How do you think about measuring the performance kind of short and long term? Like, you know, every market, every business person's got their morning little routine to yep. check on the health of things. Sure. What's your routine and what are you looking for to understand how things are going? Yeah, really good question. So measuring the performance short, long term. I mean, I think there's like the very, very short term. So whenever we think about something that we want to launch or thinking about a product we want to build, we have to have a really strong hypothesis for what we believe the the impact is going to be and the problem that we're solving. And then, you know, as we're building it and testing it, we really make sure we look at things like, okay, is this driving consistent and an incremental user adoption? Is it driving incremental like purchases? Because, you know, if it's really valuable, it's going to help people to do more things, to discover more products and therefore purchase more products. Right? or to find new new things that they otherwise couldn't find and then 
ultimately purchase my product. So we're really looking at like kind of the, in the short term when we're thinking about what we're building and testing, we're looking for basically people usage as well as like, you know, revenue as a driver. But over the long term, and when we monitor the kind of health of the business and when I look at a dashboard on a daily basis, um, I try to look for trends and make sure that like trends are matching our expectations. Um, and so we look at trends of, you know, um, what's happening by store in terms of like purchases by store um, or by region. Um, we look at like different platforms. So how are things, you know, moving on iOS versus Android versus web. And we look at different like features that we think are really, really important. So how is pickup doing? Right? Is pickup actually growing the rate that we expect over this kind of like, you know, this week, the last week and, you know, year over year or month over month. Uh, and we do this, I think, through, how would I describe it? Like, uh, you know, we have the visuals that show all of this, but then also like we are constantly analyzing like, okay, we just launched the thing. Should we see a deviation here? Or is there some amount of cyclicality because it's a Wednesday and we know that Wednesday's a little bit lower versus Saturday's a little bit stronger and even seasonally. So obviously we expect like a lot of business around Thanksgiving or Christmas. And so there's like so much fluctuation that just like being able to monitor what's happening on a dashboard on a day-to-day basis across all these dimensions is really important for us. Got it. No, that's great. I guess changing gears a little bit, you're in a super competitive space. I don't need to tell you that, whether it's sort of the more traditional vendors of this kind, like Peapod or Amazon or whomever. How do you think about creating and maintaining preference, you know, to keep folks from switching? You've trained them now to buy online, but maybe they get a great coupon. So how do you hold on to them and what does that mean for product-driven growth? Yes, really good question and uh, keen observation here. Um, So a couple, couple points to that. You're right, it's a huge space and we think it's like actually really big for, big enough for multiple players. Um, it's like a trillion dollar space, like physical grocery right now. We think it's going to be like, you know, growing on $12 trillion over the next 10 years or so. And for us, we have positioned our company in a way that we believe that we're well aligned with what consumers want. So consumers have a high affinity for their local retailer, um, you know, and each retailer does a different job. Right? And so, like, you can go to a Safeway for one set of things, a Molly Stones for a different set of things. You go to a, you know, Albertsons or Ralph's for a different set of things. And, you know, you'll have your primary retailer that you go to. But, like, people do care about, like, one, the local component of it. And then, two, also, like, the specific retailer. And so we've, like, positioned ourselves to give people that option and that choice. And I think it plays to some of our kind of competitive advantage. But over the long term, like, there is always the possibility to switch. You're correct. And we recognize this. And I think part of our job is to create an experience that is more than just the utility. We want to be better than the store over the long term. And so that means making sure that we can provide you with kind of smart and quick advertising via email, via push notifications to help you understand, like, what are things that you really love from your local store that maybe you weren't aware of, like, available or we believe is available. We believe that there's just a huge opportunity to think about how do we help you think about what's for dinner tonight or think about planning of meals over the long term such that, you know, groceries become a means to an end and we are actually helping your family to be even more efficient and, like, like really enjoy the food that they love and really building a service that not only has the utility components, but is really solving real jobs for families such that they are, they really feel connected to what Instacart's doing for their lives. 
No, that makes great sense to me. And it's like, yeah, it's like sort of a conceptual realignment, at least for me, to think about, yeah, delivery is of the groceries is only serving the purpose of feeding your family. Right. Um, and that's really the outcome and how there's so many so much opportunity to play in facilitating that experience mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that makes perfect sense. So slight change of topic, but I think like very relevant for your experience uh, working in startups, starting your own company, and of course, living in the Bay Area. The really common refrain, grow first, monetize later. And I yep. guess in some ways, famously Facebook, where you came from, kind of yep. took that approach in its early days. You also get sort of the more bootstrapped approach that criticizes that, that says, well, if you can't monetize now, when? Uh, yep. How will you figure that out? Yep. Um, so kind of where do you stand? Where do you fall in that debate? Like how, how should people be thinking about the, the trade-offs between kind of growth and monetization as they try and build a company? Yeah, I've, I've had this question a lot, and I think there is um – it's a challenging one because I actually think it just depends on the dynamics of the product that you're building uh, in particular. Um, and I know that, and I think you mentioned this, there's um, sometimes people worry that you can't monetize things if you wait too long. And that can be a concern. But, you know, the way I think about it is, you know, product market fit first. So build a thing that really matters to people. Um, if you're going B to C, more often than not, the paradigm today is it should be something that is free unless it is a very unique and specialized service. For B2B, you know, for the most part, you know, there are the incentives don't align for you to build a free product because businesses expect to pay and don't want to compromise any of their data by having a free product that then, you know, they're at risk of having, like, some, some of their data sold or whatever the thing is. And so for B2C, you know, definitely starting off being free, getting product market fit, figuring out what is the thing that really is the, the feature, the set of features, the experience that really retains people well, and then only starting to focus on growth once you've seen that kind of flatness and retention over 30 to 60 days. And then at which point, once you start getting some scale, it, becomes, it makes more sense to start focusing on monetization because monetization really can happen a lot more efficiently um, and the unit economics make a lot more sense at that point in time. But until you truly get um, some scale, you're going to have some challenges because, you know, you can't do all the things, right? Ruthless prioritization is really, really important. And if there's a world in which you want to monetize because you're going to offer like a, you know, in some cases like a freemium product or you're going to do other things, it might actually hamper your ability to grow. And so I think that is actually truly the staging up for B2C products. For B2B products, you know, you're either going to have a paid, for example, a paid SaaS platform or a free SaaS platform. And a lot of times it makes sense to make people pay for it, like, up front. Uh, and the question becomes, like, how do you think about growth and the effect of the payment structure on growth, right? And so, like, creating different payment structures where you are charging on a kind of fee per user, fee for service, fee for instances, whatever those are, can actually, like, hamper or, like, or help your ability to grow. Uh, and so that's kind of how I think about it, but I, it, it does really depend on the exact product and the exact uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to ask you sort of like a related concept. Of course, acquisition is just a part of growth. Sure. But acquisition through pay channels, through a lot of means is getting just more and more expensive. Uh, in B2C, we've seen a lot of organizations where just the cost of acquisition kind of sunk some of the startups just because they couldn't build a sustainable model with the cost mm-hmm. of acquiring. So I'd just love to get your thinking about sort of some advice for finding opportunities to grow without falling into that sort of too expensive customer acquisition trap. Yeah. Um, like where do you see maybe some opportunities or some guidance to some of the listeners about, you know, how to avoid paying 100 bucks to get 99 back? 
yeah. uh, and then doing that at scale yeah. uh, with the inevitable consequence that might come from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good question. Hard question. This is uh, this is like if there were truly a silver bullet for this, you know, <laughs> like I would I would quit my job and just like write a blog and just like charge a lot of money for it. <laughs> um, and so it's not it's not that easy. But um, again, this is like situation dependent. I do think there are a lot of companies who get basically stuck in the kind of the paid acquisition trap and they really don't do a great job of thinking about ROI or LTV, um, customer acquisition costs. And they're uh, increasingly competing, as to your point, in these kind of hyper-competitive kind of uh, auctions and, and opportunities. And it doesn't mean that, like, you know, advertising on Google AdWords or Facebook doesn't make sense because for a lot of companies it does. The question just becomes, like, how, right? Like, so there's a world in which you, you know, do you go after the long tail, right? Do you target, like, the markets that you um, or the segments, demographic segments or the use cases on ad, AdWords, which are very, very popular and very, very expensive, or do you work really hard to understand some really unique insights about who your customer is and then figure out how to go and get those people? And sometimes, like, really it is, if you find really loyal customers, a lot of times it makes sense to figure out and use those customers as your kind of your kind of north star to understand, well, where do they spend time? You know, what channels do they frequent? What would it take for them to actually refer their friends? Um, and so I'm a big fan of one, just like kind of true referral channels. Um, because, you know, with, with incentives properly aligned and with, like, highly passionate customers, especially early on, you're going to get, it's not going to be truly hockey stage growth that is infinitely scalable, but you can get, like, a lot of serious traction and you can start really better understanding kind of who your customer is at scale. I think one thing that, you know, I've known that's worked well is that um, some some companies will go out and do things like, very interesting partnerships with companies that are adjacencies for, to them, right? And then like co-brand, co-market, et cetera, and um, drive a lot of early users that way. I think early on, it is going to be a situation where you are going to test a bunch of channels. You need to be able to move incredibly fast, really get a lot of signal on, does this work? Does it make sense? And how do we like actually make it work? And then double down on the things that are doing well and then just abandon the things that are not. Um, you know, I think, you know, coming from social media, I think there are some a lot of creative organic ways to use a Facebook or an Instagram. But like that's like also like very, very popular right now. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily need to be that as well. So, I mean, I wish I had like a, a very like uh, an easy answer for this, um, you know, for something like if I were starting Instacart today, I would go and talk to mommy bloggers see like what kind of appetite they have for this right? because they are there's this amazing world of like mom blogs who just have like tons of content tons of followers deep engagement they're solving real problems for people that we think could be our customer segment so understanding like that world and there's probably you know I mean, this is from my days in my startup at some point i think i had a list of like the top 50 mommy bloggers that had like maybe a collective reach of like you know 10 million people Right? And figuring out how to, like, really get them to experience your product, to be advocates for it. I mean, do you go and build an affiliate marketing channel for them, right, such that they are, like, incentivized to do the work with you, right? And, like, you know, that's not going to be all of the women in the world, obviously, that would, like, use Instacart. But, you know, if I were starting Instacart today, this would be something that I would think deeply about. And it's, like, a pretty scalable to get, like, an early, really early meaningful traction. And then if you build a referral channel on top of that, 
right, for the people who come from the mommy blog, then, like, the customer acquisition costs go down pretty substantially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I suppose to synthesize that back, I think one of the key things, and you already mentioned this, is that you have to have that insight. You have to know it's those right. bloggers. So you have to really understand the, the job of your service. You have to really understand right. what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And this goes back to just, like, constantly being in touch with your customers. You mm-hmm. just have to have a lot of insight for who your customers are and, like, rapidly, like, communicate with them in an authentic way, especially early on in your business. Mm-hmm. That makes great sense. Well, thank you. I think that's all we had time for today. So I just want to say thank you again for joining us. Um, I learned a lot. I'm sure audiences as well. And just thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.